see welcome back to gremlin talk this is episode 15 i believe of this podcast i am not gonna lie to you i did film half of episode 15 four weeks ago when i was supposed to post supposed to post (laughs) episode 15 and then you know, some stuff kind of went down and I got freaked out and I got really busy because I was leaving to go back to Los Angeles. And these are all excuses. Let me just say, these are all excuses and I'm hearing myself say them, but I got busy and then I went to Europe and I couldn't find anywhere to record when I was in Europe. And I'd rather be able to sit and actually process things through the podcast versus rushing to complete it and it being a product that I'm not really proud of. So I kind of went on a little podcast vacation, some may say. I'm not making money off this podcast. Um, I would love to figure out how to monetize it sooner rather than later, but right now it's kind of just a labor of love, which means I don't feel particularly obligated, I guess. Like I know you guys really like it and I've gotten a lot of DMs from people saying, where is the next podcast episode? I run to your voice every week and you're not here and it's stressful for me and you know what I get it and also I love I just love the audacity of (laughs) this podcast fulfills me and you you better produce it so (laughs) here I am guys it's been a very stressful four weeks of my life and there's a lot of content to recap I'm going to start this by saying hello if you're watching on the YouTube I'm recording this as a video podcast as well and I will be posting it on YouTube because honestly I need the monetization minutes and if I'm going to produce content on this kind of level then it should be cross-platformed it should be so there is also a video podcast on my own YouTube channel Max Shea Smith if you want to watch the video unedited unedited I cannot speak today unedited I said it right the first time but it just sounded very wrong version of this podcast so feel free to go check that out it will be posting tonight as well so today's Wednesday and I have been putting off recording this podcast for a minute and that is because it got to the point where there was so much content to talk about that frankly I just got overwhelmed like Let's do a short little outline of the things we're going to talk about today. So first and foremost, I owe you guys an explanation as to what happened with the Hawaii boy. Two, I owe you guys an explanation as to me quitting my job. Like we literally, it's crazy to me that I haven't even talked about this on the podcast yet because it's been so monumental for me. Uh, third, I need to talk about going back to Los Angeles for a couple of days, what happened when I was in LA. I need to talk about going to Europe and my Europe trip and my failed tour du Mont Blanc attempt. There's just like, there's a lot of things here that need to be discussed. And I have been struggling with how to produce this episode, like how to create a structure to this episode so that it makes sense because there's so many moving parts. But that is my job as a professional storyteller now after quitting my engineering job. So first, before we even jump into the outline, I should probably talk about where I am now. If you are on the YouTube channel, you see this little divot in the wall behind me. That is a dent in the wall from kneeing the wall when I was like 12. (laughs) So Listeners, I am in my childhood bedroom. Welcome to Gilbert, Arizona. I'm in my mother's house and I never, ever, ever expected my year to lead me to being in Gilbert. That wasn't really on the plan. That wasn't really on the schedule. So it feels a little odd to be sitting in my childhood bedroom, but I am enjoying being home. Today is my third day in Gilbert in my mom's house and it's been very relaxing. I've been able to get a lot of running done. I'm getting bored and antsy, but we will talk about this at the end of the episode. But yeah, that's where that is where I am coming at you from today. I am no longer on my balcony in Hawaii. I am not speaking to you through an iPhone microphone from the Colorado Trail. I am sitting here with a microphone in my childhood bedroom. So 
let us continue. Oh, I feel like I need to kind of hide in here. I mean, it is like 90 degrees outside, so that makes sense. Okay, um, where do we begin? Wow, this is so, there's so many fun topics to cover. Um, I guess we will just start right off the bat with Hawaii Boy. And you know what? I am terrified that he is going to listen to this because he he has no social media, but he did express interest in hearing my podcast, which I just, I, <laughs> I would literally rather eat glass. I would rather get hit by my own car than have this man listen to my podcast. Like any man I've ever had interested in ever. I'm like, please have no social media. Please do not listen to my podcast. Please do not look on my YouTube channel. Like I think it's so cringy for a man that I'm interested in romantically to be interested in my social media. So, oh, okay. We're just gonna, we're just gonna start. So you may or may not have listened to the last episode of Gremlin Talk, and that was episode, I think, 14. I believe this is episode 15, which, by the way, crazy. We have covered, like, 20-plus weeks of my life. Like, you guys have literally seen me go from working in my lab, my 9 to 5, to now quitting my job and being a full-time content creator and doing this for a living, so that has been super odd. So, Last episode, I talked about how I met this guy when I was on a run and I thought everything was just great. Like, obviously, it was early days, but he there were a lot of green flags. He was very secure, just a good communicator. Like, he literally asked me how to meet my needs and like there were just so many things I was like oh wow like this guy seems really like really mature and really um evolved for a man and I mean he was like 30 so we (laughs) you would think that with time these boys would evolve and adapt and I I have mixed feelings on what was really going on with this guy but (laughs) I go on a couple dates with him and, you know, we, him and I have the conversation about like intimacy is terrifying for me. Uh, Personally, I'm an anxiously attached girly, as I mentioned in the last episode, which means I crave intimacy, but also I'm not emotionally available because I look to protect my for. I look to protect myself and I um, I get really anxious in romantic relationships and I require a lot of security. But at the same time, I go for guys who I know absolutely cannot provide that. Like every single man I have been interested in in the last two years has been somebody that I just know in my heart cannot provide me with any kind of stability, which is okay. Because frankly, I'm not really in a phase of my life where I want to be in a relationship or I want somebody like I don't need somebody dragging me down at the moment. So the fact I can just like fly to Europe and run tour du Mont Blanc and do my own thing is very fulfilling for me. So all this in mind. I was like very impressed with this guy. I was like, wow, he seems really great. I'd gotten out of a relationship like six months ago or so, more than that, like a long-term relationship. So that was like a little bit of a red flag. I was like, oh, he's probably not very available. But again, it was like, does it really matter? Because I'm not sticking around, you know? However, him and I had the conversation of, I, you know, celibacy. (laughs) Let's just let's call it what it is. It's celibacy. I told him I was not interested in sleeping with anybody that I didn't care about. I wasn't interested in physical intimacy. And I couldn't really put my finger on why I have felt this way, but I know it's what I have to do to protect myself. So before this whole situation with this guy, I was like, you know, celibacy grind, like, I'm just not really interested in becoming attached to anybody and definitely not interested in one being used for sex because that is what it has felt like the last couple of years dating men that they only care about sleeping with me and then they leave. And it's funny because I think when you have an anxious attachment style, you kind of like it either goes to it goes one of two ways. You either date the guys who you know from the beginning they cannot handle emotional intimacy and they will leave or you date the guys who love bomb you and get 
committed very, very quickly and then they ghost you. I haven't experienced the second kind, but I recently became aware that it exists. And <laughs> I think it's very telling about me that I'm not interested in guys who love on me <laughs> because... <laughs> like I'm so grossed out when guys express interest in me like genuine interest so duh the love bombing is not it's it's not a good trait again I'm telling you I'm not health right now I'm not health I don't want to be in a relationship I want to just do my own thing so all this in mind (laughs) him and I have the conversation of I am fearful of physical intimacy I'm not sleeping with anybody I'm practicing celibacy and he's like yeah that all sounds great. Like, I have no problem with that. Um, long story short, he ends up making a move and then stuff kind of happens and I'm not gonna, I just can't talk about details like this on a platform like this. I just can't do it. This is not caller daddy, okay? But I end up realizing that I'm not really ready to sleep with anybody. Like, I reiterated, basically, this situation that happens with him. I'm like, you know what? I really don't think I'm ready for physical intimacy with anybody. And next day, you know, I tell him that. And before I even get the words out of, you know, I'm not really cool with anything that's, like, happened between us. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do anything more. I'm not interested he comes with the the bold, hot statement of, you know, I either want to be friends or I want to be friends with benefits. I'm not interested in playing the innocent game. Direct quote, the innocent game. And I was like, what do you mean the innocent game? And he says, you know, like kissing and like doing stuff like that. Like, I'm not really interested in doing that unless you intend to sleep with me because it makes me want more again, direct quote. And I'm like sitting on this man's kitchen floor, fucking stunned, like (laughs) given the circumstances of what happened, which I don't even want to talk about on this podcast because one, like I want to protect his privacy, which I don't know why, but I just don't really feel comfortable airing these details. But I was just like, that is so hilarious that you would like that's really what you're going with um friends or friends with benefits really Uh, really guy okay um and I told him like well I'm not interested in physical intimacy with you or anybody like it's not a safe place for me and he was like well if you're open to the option of it and I was like I'm not (laughs) like the fact that I had to fucking reiterate it and then that happened like multiple more times over the course of this conversation he kept saying like oh if you're open to the option I'm like I'm not I'm really not though. Like I don't, I'm not interested. So I leave his house and I'm like, I'm never speaking to this man again. Like I'm so disgusted by his actions and his words. Like it's so not in alignment with what I thought his character was like. So at this point that all this stuff is going down with him, I am supposed to be leaving the island in three days. So everything kind of went down on Saturday and I was supposed to leave on Tuesday. And As of Saturday, my plan was actually to come back to Oahu, which kind of a crazy turn of events because that wasn't the plan. The OG, OG plan was to go back to Los Angeles, go back to my job part time and uh, just continue with life as as normal. You know, just go back to my job, influencer, halftime engineer, halftime runner in the fraction that doesn't even exist between those. And I was going to find, you know, an apartment in Los Angeles. Basically, over the course of my month in Hawaii, I came to the realization that I can't return back to my job. Once I got off the Colorado Trail, I thought, well, you know, maybe I could go back to my job. It wouldn't be a big deal. And I just, I just realized I couldn't go back to sitting in a lab. I realized that it felt like such a waste of my time to be spending 10 hours of my day indoors in Malibu and like sign a lease in Los Angeles only to have to work at my engineering job to pay for said lease. Like none of it made sense to me. And I just wasn't really willing to, I just wasn't really willing to do that. So I call my manager a week and a half before I'm supposed to go back to my job. 
right? Yeah. A week and a half before I'm supposed to go back. And I tell him, Casey, like, I'm so sorry, but I just don't think I can come back. And he's like, like, why? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I just don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be part of corporate America anymore. I don't want to be an engineer. Like, I, everything's going well. Like, I'm making enough money on social media to not have to come back. And I just, I would rather struggle <laughs> than, like, live comfortably and work at this nine to five. And he was so incredibly understanding. I'm not kidding. Every single step of this process of taking a leave of absence from my job and traveling and being abroad and then ultimately quitting, my manager has been 100% on my side. He is basically family to me. My whole group is like family to me, but it has been such a weight off my chest to know that regardless of what I end up deciding, he's going to support me either way. And I, yeah, so I quit. I quit my job. I, I quit engineering and how this all works is I needed to get back to Los Angeles to clear out my desk, have my last official day at work, have my exit interview, and go through all of those clerical HR steps to be separated from the company. So concurrently, as I'm quitting my job, I find out through my friend Austin. I've talked about him on this podcast before. I think he's a YouTuber. He runs this obstacle course called The Battle Bunker in was Simi Valley, but now they're in Chula Vista. And he was doing this competition with Lenny and Larry's, like partnered with Lenny and Larry's for a competition. And he told me to apply. And I find out that I was accepted for the competition. So they offer to fly me to Los Angeles. And then they also offer to fly me back to Honolulu after the competition's over. So my original plan was to fly back to LA, work part-time, whatever. And um, when that fell through, I guess, or became not the consequences of my decisions, I realized I could come back to Oahu and spend some more time in Oahu. And I was trying to figure out how I could do that, like where I could live to make that happen. And my friend who I call Booty Patrol because he drives this car that says Booty Patrol on it. It literally says like Hawaii booty patrol and he drives around and it's hilarious like I thought it was so douchey at first and then he is just the sweetest kindest human being and he literally told me his intentions with it were to make other people happy he was like it makes other people happy people smile when they see it in the street and I've seen it like light up people's faces and I was like that is such a pure like what a pure thing to have with such a weird context (laughs) so He's in the Coast Guard, which irrelevant detail. I mean, kind of relevant because the guy I was seeing in Hawaii was also in the Coast Guard and they actually ran into each other on the base. (laughs) It was super fucking weird. But I was going to go stay with Booty Patrol. He offered to let me live with him. He was like, you can take my bedroom. I'll sleep on the couch. Like, I just would love to have somebody around. And like, he's such a host. Like, he's so generous and he's such a host. He just wanted to have somebody around. So he was like, Mac, like just fly back to Honolulu. You can stay another like month or so before your 100 mile race. And then you can fly back to the mainland after that. So my plan going into the Saturday where I end things with this guy and then the competition in Los Angeles was that I was going to be coming back to Honolulu. I was coming back to Oahu. So how the fuck did I end up in Europe? (laughs) literally literally turn of events (laughs) like none other so I'm in Oahu I end things with this man in the Coast Guard and it's Tuesday morning and my flight to Los Angeles is Tuesday evening and I am kind of thinking you know now that I've ended things with this guy I'm kind of feeling that Sagittarius urge to go somewhere else and I always fucking do this you guys I always do this literally the second I end something with a guy I'm like peace like literally booking a flight see you later I like I ended things with my situation ship and I flew to Boston I ended things with this other guy and I flew to oh that was a different guy um I flew somewhere else overseas like I literally that is my that's my mo like that is what I do when I end things with a guy I leave and I don't feel ashamed of it Oh, one time I ended things with a guy and I went on a date backpacking trip in the Grand Canyon. Actually, I 
even had things end with the guy and that preceded me moving into my car and this whole four month thing. So we can thank him for the absolute chaos that my life has become, but it's really good entertainment. So I know that um, y'all are appreciating it. <laughs> you better. <laughs> so I am thinking about where I could go instead of going back to Oahu. And my friend Val from the Colorado Trail, who I actually met because of this podcast, which is maybe the best thing ever. If you all can recall from the Colorado Trail on day eight, I was by myself and I am I had one solo day before I met Val. So I'm packing up my tent. This girl comes down the trail and she sees me and I'm like, hi. And she goes, oh my God, I know you. And I was like, okay. And keep in mind, I like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm used to being recognized, but like it happens more often than you would think given I don't have that many followers in the context of the world. So I was like, okay, yeah. And she's like, I just listened to your podcast about Breckenridge. Like I was literally listening to your podcast yesterday and I was wondering if I was going to meet you on the trail. And I'm not kidding. This girl is my fucking soulmate. She is maybe one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. She went to West Point. She served as an officer in the army for five years. She went to MIT and got an MBA. I I say such kind things about Val because like truly she has made my life so much better by being in it. She's hilarious. We, I don't think I would have survived the Colorado Trail without Val. (laughs) Anytime things got shitty, we just really stuck it out together. So where was I even going with this? So Val was in Europe. So basically right after the Colorado Trail, she flew to Geneva, I think, because she did Tour du Mont Blanc with her parents. So she was in the Dolomites hiking around the time that I was thinking about coming to Europe. So I text her and I'm like, yo, what if I come to Europe? And she was like, yeah, let's meet up after I'm done in the Dolomites. I'm looking at flights to Rome. I'm looking just whatever's cheap and everything's, you know, expensive because it's Europe. It's like 600 bucks for a one-way flight and that's on the cheap end of things like I still have to get home keep in mind like I don't have $1,200 to just like blow on a flight to Europe so I'm like well like maybe I won't go to Europe sounds kind of expensive maybe I'll just go back to Los Angeles like go on a road trip figure things out like there were just so many different options going on in my head and one of my childhood friends texts me and she says hey uh you should hit up our neighbor who is the mother of one of my other childhood friends. It's a whole thing, but uh, she has free flight benefits. And I think her and my mom are going to Europe this weekend. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I text Cheryl and I say, hey, do you want to go to Europe? She's like, when? I said this weekend. She said, I'm already going. I'm going to Spain. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, Can I come? <laughs> and she literally invites me on their travel plans. She has free flight benefits. So all I have to do is pay the taxes on the flight to Europe. So she books me a direct flight to London from LAX on Thursday. So Tuesday, I fly to Los Angeles from Honolulu. I get in Wednesday morning. David picks me up from the airport at like one in the morning and he's in the worst fucking mood I've ever, I've ever seen him. Well, no, that's not true. I've seen him in some pretty horrible moods. (laughs) I have really wanted to kill David before. i.e. the Wind River Range when his pack got eaten by mice and he was so bitchy and hungry and rude. So I love him though. Haha, ha, he's like a brother. Sorry, David. Um, <laughs> so he picks me up from the airport and he is just so angry and I haven't seen him in like a month. So I'm like, you, you better fucking relax, David. Uh, I go back to his apartment. I spend the night and I was going to sleep on the air mattress because this man is seriously my brother. You guys, like, I don't even know. I've hugged David maybe once or twice in my life. He's like my little brother to me. He, There's just zero. It's so platonic. Like, people are always like, oh, my God, that man's in love with you. Like, people from social media that see us hanging out, they're like, oh, there's no way I go to hang out with you unless he wants to fuck you. And I'm like, actually, it's not true. Um he has two older sisters, okay? He views women as human beings who can be platonic friends, right? So, picks her up at the airport, spend the night in his place, and it's like one in the morning, and I'm super tired because I've been, or I guess it was two, I was super tired from being on a flight, like, for six hours or whatever, and, you know, he turns the lights off, and the first thing he, this motherfucker, the first thing he says when he turns the lights off is, you know, I just, like, don't know if I'm ready for love. 
David, David, for, for fuck's sake, dude, it's two in the morning. And, but you know, I was just grateful that he wasn't angry with me. So I let him, you know, we had a little therapy sesh at two in the morning and wake up, go to sleep, you know, super late, of course, like three in the morning, probably. And the next morning, which three hours later, he wakes me up to go to work for our last day of work. It's my last day of work. I have to go do my exit interview. I have to go clean out my desk. And honestly, the night before, I was so excited about going to work that I like couldn't really sleep anyway. Like I was exhausted and I'd only slept a couple hours a night the nights previous as well. But I was just so excited to see my coworkers. Like I couldn't wait to just walk into my my lab and say hi to my team because I seriously adore them to the ends of the earth. So he gets me up, we go to work and I'm like so happy to be there. I think we got to the lab at like 6 45, 7 in the morning and I was just so, I was floored. I got to see so many people, all my coworkers. So many people were like, I haven't seen you around here in a minute. And I was like, yeah, it's actually my last day. Like, see you later, losers. <laughs> like, I'm I'm out. So I have my exit interview with legal and I also just get to spend time with my team. However, this is all on the context of I need to be in Santa Clarita that evening for my team dinner for this Lenny and Larry's thing, the Austin Alexander Lenny and Larry's competition thing. So I leave the lab at maybe 2.30. I go get my car from my coworker's house who's been having my car at her house for months. Like she literally just lets me leave her car in her driveway. And I love her again to the ends of the earth because all the best people I've met in my life are from freaking Hughes Research Laboratories. <laughs> and I drive to Santa Clarita. I get to my hotel at 5.45. I spend all of five minutes in my hotel room before I drive to this dinner. The dinner's fun. I was super excited to meet everybody on my team. I haven't seen Austin in a long time, so it was cool to see him. And then that night... Da, 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 da. Okay, so I, I have a lot of just platonic friends. I just, again, I want this noted. I, I'm so firmly celibate and I, I friend zone everybody and I have a lot of platonic friends. Okay, so I invited my friend Justin, who I know through obstacle course racing. He runs his own um, like performance company, basically, and he trains people for obstacle course racing and he partners with brands and things. And he's just seriously like a stand up guy. Like we are very good friends and we've hung out in platonic. Like he's a friend. He's just a friend. That I swear to God, he's just a friend. And I hadn't seen him in three months. Like the last time I saw him, we were getting like blackout drunk in Culver City with our friend Erica. And Erica cried into my arms about some man. And it, <laughs> there's just like, there's fun. He's a friend, good fun history. So I invite him to come spend the night at the hotel because I have extra space and he's involved with OCR. So I asked Austin if he could come watch the competition. I really wanted them to meet because I thought it would be a really good partnership for those two to meet as well as I just wanted to spend time with Justin. I just missed my friend and I wanted to spend time with him. So he came and spent the night at the hotel I was at and there were separate beds and we ended up talking all night. Like I think we went to sleep at maybe 2.30 in the morning again. <laughs> and keep in mind, I hadn't slept more than like three hours in a night in the three nights before that. So I was pretty tired when I woke up the next morning. And this is Thursday that this is all happening. So it's Thursday morning, quote unquote, Wednesday night that we're staying up until 2.30 in the morning. And I had my flight to London Heathrow at 7 p.m. Thursday evening. And in between, I have the competition. I need to repack my car because when I came home from Hawaii, I threw everything into my car. Or no, when I came home from the Colorado Trail. That was the last time I'd seen my car. Colorado Trail. I had not even unpacked my bag. Like my backpack was still packed from the CT. So I needed to repack every single possession that I owned and get my shit together to get to Europe for a month. 
So I wake up at 6.30, maybe 7.30, just stressed, (laughs) like palpable anxiety about what I need to get done that day. And I, you know, I go repack my car, I get breakfast, and I'm just stressing because our competition didn't start until 10. And I was far away from LAX. I still needed to get my car back to Agora Hills. I needed to Uber from Agora Hills to LAX. Like, I was very concerned about the time constraints. And it turns out, (laughs) rightfully so. (laughs) Because, (laughs) well, okay, before we jump to that, let's talk about the competition. So, the competition was an obstacle course and it was built by Mud Girl. Uh, I'm an elite Spartan racer, so I, I know a thing or two about obstacle courses, difficult obstacle courses. And the Lenny and Larry's team was very like hush hush about what we were going to be doing. They just told us like, oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very tough. You are going to have to do a lot of teamwork. And I was like, this sounds like cap like I've seen some I've seen some tough shit in my day and I just don't believe that this is gonna be hard everyone else on my team is like kind of freaking out because I, I I and I they rightfully so if you haven't seen obstacles before um then yeah I I guess I can I, I can understand I have a lot of experience in the arena so I'm kind of like chill about it like it'll be fine like it doesn't even matter it, literally if we lose it doesn't matter but if we lose I'm gonna retire from OCR <laughs> so please let's not lose. And my team ended up totally crushing it. I had so much fun. I haven't been on an obstacle course since I dropped out of the Utah Ultra two and a half, three months ago. And honestly, I've been missing it. I really do miss being on obstacles. I am so bummed. I was in Hawaii. Was I in Hawaii or Europe for OCR World Championships? I I was really bummed to miss that because I've never gotten to go. I only started obstacle course racing last year and that happened to fall on the same weekend as Tahoe, which I went to. So this year I was like, oh, I'd love to go to OCRWC, but the circumstances of my life just did not allow for that. So um oh my god we're even okay yeah so (laughs) Lenny and Larry's there's a lot of shit here to talk about I'm already at 30 minutes so just kind of unbelievable let's just take a moment to breathe for a second okay (laughs) let me recenter myself obstacle course goes great we end up winning which is cool um they gave me like three grand that I can use for quote-unquote gym equipment I'm gonna use it to buy either skis or winter mountaineering gear (laughs) because that is part of my future plans which we will talk about at the end of this episode however I leave the competition at 2 2 30 I get to Agora Hills at 3 30 I call an uber by 4 15 I don't get to LAX until 6 15 because it was rush hour and there was an extra hour of traffic so Turns out you have to be at international flights an hour early, a whole hour to check in. So I missed my flight to London Heathrow, my direct flight from LAX to London Heathrow. And I'm like, God fucking damn it. What do I do? They rebooked me because everything's on standby. They rebooked me on a flight to Chicago and then I would fly Chicago to London the next day. However, I was the only person who didn't get on the Chicago flight through standby. And then Cheryl was like, oh, just wait till the the 2 a.m. flight or whatever to Chicago. And I was like, dude, I'm not fucking waiting around for a 2 a.m. flight. I'm probably not going to get on. So I go back to Agora Hills and it ended up being in my favor because I got to go on my long run. I got to do a really enjoyable 18-mile run on the Backbone Trail, which is my favorite place on earth. And I also got to run 10 miles the next morning before my flight. So I got to do all of my 100-miler training before flying to Europe because I knew getting to Europe, I was probably going to be miserable. Going for my long run was going to be very difficult. It just wasn't really going to work out. So I get to London. I'm like, Screw up my timeline here. I get to London. I immediately fly to Barcelona. I'm in Barcelona for a couple days and then I go to Madrid for a couple days. And my neighbor's mom, they so they go home. The two moms that I was with, they go home Thursday of that week. And I had been trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my Europe trip. I didn't have any plans. I knew I was going to meet Val in Paris the next week, but I basically had an entire week with nothing that I could just fill in the gap with. And 
Val's pictures from Tour du Mont Blanc were just so insane. And the route is iconic. It is the UTMB race course. So I, I was pretty tempted to make a TMB attempt happen. And I start looking at huts to book and everything closes. I swear to God, September 20th. I was looking to start September 24th-ish. So vast majority of the huts were closing and they close because the weather becomes very inclement after September 20th. Like that's the fall equin or is it called an equinox? I think it's equinox. No, it's definitely not solstice. Fall equinox happens. The weather in the Alps gets horrendous, which we will quickly figure out is true. (laughs) So I find huts and I'm going to do TMB over four days. And I didn't have exact mileage figured out for this attempt. And it was looking like it was going to be a 50k, maybe 28 miles, maybe 26 miles, and then like a shorter day. And I was like, okay, that that sounds reasonable. Like I was doing 20s on the Colorado Trail. So I, yeah, I would have no problem doing that. And I'm training for this 100 miler. So yeah, back to back to back, like 50K, 20s. That's not a problem with me. And it sounds great. So in all actuality, shit just like hits the fan with this Tour du Mont Blanc attempt. First of all, I check the weather three days before I start, and the day that I start, it is supposed to start raining every single day for the entire, like, I think Apple weather shows you, like, a week in advance. The entire week was rainy, like, rainy and, like, 40s. (laughs) Keep in mind, I was coming from Oahu, okay? I was coming from tropical rainforest. I was used to hot. I was used to running in 85 to 90 degrees with like 80% humidity. So this was quite a shakeup. I also did not bring appropriate gear for a fall weather Tour de Mont Blanc. I didn't have a rain jacket. I didn't have gloves. I didn't have pants. I didn't have waterproof shoes. Like I, I was truly just trail runner, Cody, uh, chicken Joe attempting this shit. Okay. So I buy a rain jacket and Chamonix to cover myself and my vest and the guy at the gear shop is like you're doing what I'm like I'm gonna do TMB over four days he's like the weather's horrendous I'm like yeah I know but it should it should still be fun right (laughs) it was not and um I basically start the trail the next day it's pouring the water is running down the streets it's atrocious uh my day one vlog from the trail is already posted so if you want to hear me cussing a lot and running a lot and eating a lot of chocolate then that is on my youtube channel I'm by the way on my youtube grind right now if you cannot tell I am very close to becoming monetized and Uh, again, your girl's a full-time content creator. So I do need the income stream. (laughs) I'm also life coaching. I've talked about this a bit on the podcast before. I'm also coaching and I have like an almost full coaching practice, which is kind of crazy. But I would say, you know, I would call myself a content creator, life coach on the side, hybrid athlete on the side, primarily content creating. So day one (laughs) comes around. It's raining. It's just ridiculous. And If I had run that day as to plan, it would have been 35 miles, which again, not the craziest thing I've ever heard considering what I'm used to. However, because of the way the buses worked out, I didn't get to get on trail until 930. So I'm on trail uh, by 10, I would say I'm running and I'm starting on this 5,000 foot climb out of Laouche, <laughs> which like, what the fuck? And I check my email for some reason because I'm stupid. I check my email and I have an email from my hut that I'm supposed to sleep at tonight because I had emailed them that I was probably going to be later than 6 p.m., which was when check-in was. And they said, okay, well, you need to be here by 7.30 or else it's quote unquote not possible which what do you mean not possible I don't I don't even understand like you're gonna kick me out like I'm gonna be sleeping in the streets of Champé-Lac like I just don't understand so I see that and I'm like fuck I'm never gonna make it by this time I had 35 miles with 13,000 feet of gain on the schedule that day that's at least a 12-hour thing like straight up that's that's yeah that's a long day So I am, you know, considering my options, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to take the train to Argentier, which is 13 miles down the road. And then I should be able to make it to my hut in time. So I get back on trail by 11, 1130, which means I still have 20 miles left of the day. And I ended up finishing my 20 miles by 530. Like, I think I, I even made it before the OG 
cutoff time, like the OG check-in time, which is fun. You know, that's great. And basically the whole day was raining, but I was in a really good mood. I was just talking to myself. I was practicing all these weird accents because I kept speaking to people in English who were French. So then they would respond with really French accents, like heavily accented English. And I was like, this is so fun. So I was practicing what little French I knew as well as, you know, practicing an English accent and a French accent. It was just very... I, when I was on the Colorado Trail, I was not talking to myself nearly as much as I was talking to myself on Tour de Mont Blanc. Like it was, it was concerning, but it was also a sign that I was in a good mood and I was feeling good. When I was on the CT, I was so fatigued and I felt so horrible that <laughs> I couldn't even talk to myself. Like I would sing maybe a tiny bit, but normally when I'm running and backpacking, I'm singing the whole time. I'm talking to myself. Like I don't shut up. Like I seriously, I'm one of those people I could talk forever, which very fitting. You're listening to my podcast where I frequently speak for an hour about what I care about. Okay. So I'm on the Colorado trail and no, I'm not on the Colorado Trail. I'm on Tour de Mont Blanc. I'm talking to myself. I'm having a great time. I get to the hut that night and I'm freezing because it started absolutely pouring the last six miles of my day. It was pretty like rainy, misty most of the day, pouring at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. So I come in, I'm absolutely soaked and I'm staying the night there with probably 12 other people. I ended up sharing a room with six Scottish dudes and they were fucking hilarious. I love people from the UK. They're so funny. They are so, they have such a dry sense of humor and it makes me just cackle. Like I love dry humor. If you spend a lot of time with me, then you know I am a dry humor expert. My, <laughs> I, I went on a date in Jackson Hole and the guy told me that he couldn't tell when I was being serious or not. And the answer is that I'm almost never being serious. I just have a very dry sense of humor. I get it from my dad. Okay. So that night I spend the night at the hut and they, I'm not kidding, feed me maybe 500 calories for dinner. I have like some rice and some vegetables and I, I left pretty, pretty hungry. I ended up eating like a whole roll of cookies. I think I have like very similar cookies right now. These like European, they're um, the ones I'm holding up for people not on the YouTube are Bissin cookies, but the ones I had were the Prince cookies. So I ended up eating a whole roll of cookies and um, just trying to get some calories in because the next day I literally had a 50K on the books as well. So I'm doing map review that night and I realized that the next day is also supposed to be a 35 mile day, which like how how I got around to planning this and accidentally planning, you know, 70 miles in two days, I really couldn't tell you. Like the UTMB map fucked me. <laughs> so I am like, shoot, well, you know what? I'm just going to have to eat like a really big meal in the morning. I'm going to have to eat lunch in La Folie. I've got a very big climb in the middle of the day. So coming out of Champignac, which is where I stepped the first night, I have a steep descent into like this valley where La Folie is and then a very long climb. It's like a 12 mile climb and you climb 5,400 feet up to Grand Col Ferret. I start my day and it's not immediately raining on me. However, I get about four miles in and it starts pouring and I'm like, well, you know, this is the curse. This is the the, the brave path I have chosen. <laughs> and I run into La Folie. Um, I end up hiding in this little village for like an hour because, again, it was absolutely pouring and I didn't want to get soaked and freezing before heading up to the coal. I get to La Folie. I go into the Swiss restaurant and I eat a pizza and it's my personal hell because there's an accordion player playing music in the restaurant. It was very stressful and it's pouring and freezing outside. I I decide, you know, I'm going to sit in this restaurant for 20 more minutes and then regardless of what the weather looks like, I'm just going to get up and go. So I wait another 20 minutes, still fucking pouring. I start going and I start on the climb up to Grand Col Ferret, which takes me a couple hours. I get up to Grand Col Ferret and it's snowing. It is snowing because keep in mind, while it has been raining and 40 in the valleys, it has been snowing up on all of the passes. So I got a little bit nervous about going up to Grand Colferre because I had heard from the people from the hostel the night before that there was a lot of snow, like deep snow on the passes. I get up there and it's mostly all walked through. It's only the second day of raining and snowing, so nothing was too deep yet. Um, it definitely was getting pretty muddy, not 
dangerous, though. I get over Grand Colferre and down into Refugio Elena. So from Refugio Elena to Refugio Montebianco, which is where I was sleeping that night, it was 13 miles, maybe 15 miles. And mostly flat downhill, but I only had two hours to do it. <laughs> and I only had um, gummy candy in my backpack. And it just, it wasn't looking good for me, you guys. I didn't have a headlamp. It was getting dark. <laughs> it was all bad. <laughs> so I get down to Refugio uh, Elena and there are three Italian men, a small child and a dog, or t- I guess two dogs. I But the dogs like run off. We literally can't find these dogs. And they see me running down the mountain and they stop me and they're like, what are you doing? Like, you only have this little vest, like you're a girl, you're alone. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just like running TMB, but I'm getting really nervous about my time constraints. I need to be at Refugio Montebianco in the next two hours. And they were like, oh, well, we can take you. I'm like, and that was what I'd been hoping for when I said that. So I'm, I'm getting better at the art of manipulation. And part of that means you need to let men think that it's their idea to do something. You can't, I mean, you can, you can go with the straightforward, like, could you please give me a ride? But men in particular seem to find a lot of joy in coming up with a, a grand, generous idea like that themselves. So they were like, oh yeah, like we'll take you. That's no big deal. Like, oh, sweet. So they end up hitchhiking me to Refugio Montebianco. I get to Refugio Montebianco. I check in. And the guy who's very cute at the desk, by the way, he says, you're the only person staying here tonight. I'm like, what? How could that even be possible? I slept with like 12 other people the night before. Okay. He's like, yeah, no, you know, end of the season. It is off the trail a bit. Like I had to climb a thousand feet over a mile the next morning to get back on trail. So it's definitely off trail. But I was very surprised to be alone in this massive hut. And on my TikTok, I posted like a hut tour. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was great content to be alone in that hut that night. So the next morning, I'm skipping a lot of details because I'm realizing I'm running out of time. But this is quite a story. Okay, so I come out of Refugio Montebianco and I start climbing. And the weather for the first time on this trail is clear. I'm actually seeing something. I haven't seen a single alp. this entire trip. No Alps were seen, okay? I haven't had a single good view. So I wake up in Refugio Montebianco in front of Mont Blanc and I'm in, you know, Cormeilleur. I'm right outside of Cormeilleur and it's sunny and it's feeling so nice outside. I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'll actually be able to send my A plan today because the two days prior I had to fall short. I only did, you know, 22, 22 miles each day. So the third day I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'll actually get to run a full 50K today. I'm going to be able to run all the way to Le Ponte and you know go over all these passes it'll be great I was incorrect (laughs) so I start running and you know I'm on this long climb the weather again is beautiful and I get to Refugio what is it um Elisabetta so I get to Refugio Elisabetta which is about two miles or so from Col de la Seine And I make the climb up to Refugio Elisabetta and I'm like so hungry at this point because I had a terrible breakfast at Refugio Montebianco and I am running super low. I just need cappuccino. I need a cappuccino and I need food. And I go in there and I'm like the first person into the refuge this morning out of all of the TMB hikers. And I start finding out that it's probably not a good idea for me to continue on with my TMB attempt. So a bunch of people were coming down from the coal and telling me the snow was really deep. One guy told me it was like mid shin. Another person told me it was knee or yeah, knee deep. I also keep in mind did not have, I didn't have winter gear. I did not have um, any kind of waterproof boot or anything. I didn't have micro spikes. I didn't have pants. Okay. I was literally in shorts. I didn't have a winter jacket. I just had a base layer and a rain jacket. And there was like this freezing icy headwind. I stepped out of the refuge and was almost blown over by this frozen wind, instantly chilled to the bone. And I made the judgment call to not continue. I hiked up uh, up to the pass, another mile, mile and a half from Refugio Elisabetta, got a visual on what was going on on that side of the mountain. And there was like a huge whiteout. The entire coal, which is a mountain pass, was whited out. Um, I also checked the weather for Le Ponte and it said that it was snowing. Like it just, the weather where I was going was worse. (laughs) If I had been going counterclockwise, I think it would have been okay. However, the direction I was heading was not looking very positive. And 
you know, the the entire Tour de Mont Blanc trip was really just a lesson in being flexible. I learned that on the Colorado Trail that you can prepare and plan as much as you want, but you're probably going to run into some unexpected problems along the way. So that was my main takeaway from my Tour de Mont Blanc attempt, uh, as well as the Colorado Trail, was just learning how to be flexible, changing your plans, and putting your safety first because I cannot reiterate enough when you are alone that is not the time to be heading into inclement weather um being ill ill equipped ill prepared for the terrain that you're going to be in that it's it's I didn't have a GPS device to SOS if something happened like literally if I sprained an ankle up there I would die from hypothermia like that is that is the kind of weather we were in and I literally went into Cormier that night looked on the news and some guy had died on Long's Peak in a very similar situation. And I was like, okay, you know, I feel good that I made a good judgment call for myself and I'm safe. And I still managed to do 20 plus days, three days in a row on the most ridiculous terrain I've ever seen. I think I did like 6,000 feet of gain every single day. (laughs) So I, I adequately got my training in and I got what I needed from the experience. I don't feel any kind of like chip on my shoulder about not finishing because I just think it's stupid to not put your safety first in a situation like that. You cannot, you do not get to be selfish and put your life in danger for an ego boost. It's just, it's not the way that I roll and it's not the way I would encourage anyone else to roll, which is funny because I don't think a lot of people who follow my content would expect that from me. I think a lot of you think that I'm just kind of like live, laugh, love and haha, like there's never any sound judgment or planning that goes into the things that I do, but I am a highly responsible individual, unfortunately, because I'm an oldest child. I was like a perfectionist, perfect kid, perfect student, like always, always very prepared. So that is the way that I approach mountain safety as well. You are not going to beat the mountain. (laughs) You're just not. So I, you know, bailed on my TMB attempt. I slept in Cormier that night. I flew to Geneva the next day to meet Val in Paris, Um, flew from Geneva to Paris of course. And Val and I were in Paris together for three days or so. And honestly, both of us were so burned out on traveling by this point. She had been traveling around Europe for about a month by the time I was there. I was only there for two two weeks, but also I had been living in a car and traveling full-time since May. And so I was ready to I guess phone it in, like go home. I had so many things I'd been neglecting. Like I felt bad about neglecting the podcast. I had other content I wanted to work on. I had, I have my life coaching clients that I work with and my energy is very important in working with them. So it's really nice, but weird to be in a stable place. I, here I am in Phoenix, Arizona. Again, words. I, I've never wanted to live in my hometown. I was always the kid, even early high school, even before high school. I was only looking at colleges out of state. I did not want to stay in Phoenix. I, this is not my place. And I'm, that was my ankle. I'm having this kind of identity crisis, which is so, my mom thinks I'm ridiculous because of course my intrusive thought is, oh, I'm going to get stuck in Phoenix. Like I'm going to be one of those people who never leaves, but I've never been the person who's ever been stuck. And that's the opposite of my problem. I have never been a person who gets stuck. Ultimately, I do want to return to California and I have some things kind of in the progress or in the works that can make that happen. I mean, really, the only reason I'm in Arizona is because my 100-mile race is here at the end of the month anyway, so I really need to do a lot of heat training and prepare myself for the physical demands. I'm at the point of 100-miler training where I'm peaking, so this week in particular is my peak week. On Saturday, I'm running a 50K. Sunday, I'm running like 15 miles, and then I'm also mountain biking that day. Like, this is peak week. This is the time that I need to be eating well. I need to be focusing on recovery. I need to be just living a very chill life so that I can recover from the training and become a better athlete for it. So having this stability, having a real home to be in, I'm definitely grateful for, especially after being in hostels in Europe and feeling like I can't get anything done. I literally could not find a quiet space to do anything and it was infuriating. So I'm so happy to be able to record this podcast in the quiet of even my childhood home. Moving forward, 
Um, wow, we just sat through 54 minutes of what the hell has been going on in the last month. And I feel like I'm still missing things. Like I really didn't get to dive into my emotional state or my thoughts and feelings about a lot of things. Like truly, this is like a catch-up session with your therapist. You know, when you haven't been to therapy in a long time, your therapist is like, so what's going on? And you're like, here are the facts of the case that I present. (laughs) And it's like, you actually don't get to do any emotional work because you are just so caught up in filling her in on the details, the discreet details details of what's been going on. That is how this feels for me right now. So moving forward, I'm thinking about what I want my life to look like. I'm thinking about how I want to approach, you know, my job, I guess. Like now that I'm full-time content and full-time life coach, I, I'm just feeling antsy. Like I feel like I have too much time in my day. I'm spending too much time on my phone. I really feel like I want to do something and I want to be able to create more community. I think that's kind of what I'm lacking. And I was almost thinking about applying to be like a lifty or I have a friend who works in Telluride at All Reds, the really fancy restaurant at the ski resort. I'm kind of like, maybe I'll apply to do seasonal work and move somewhere really cool and get really good at skiing or snowboarding for the winter that's on my radar. I also have this friend in Washington, Blake, who he he has a three-bedroom house and he invited me to come stay with him for a month or so and teach me winter mountaineering skills because David wants to climb Mount Whitney in December. So we may be doing some winter mountaineering. But when he texted me like, hey, do you want to climb Whitney? I was like, okay, yo, we do not have the skills for Whitney. We do not. Like, I again, trust trust the mountain. Okay. Don't try to beat the mountain. I was like, if we are going to climb Whitney in December, I want to be just absolutely rock solid with an ice axe. I want to be very comfortable with um, dealing with snow conditions. So Blake does all kinds of fuck shit in the outdoors. He is always doing ski mountaineering. He is always climbing peaks. He's always, he's doing some really cool stuff all the time. So Blake was super thrilled for me to be like, hey, can I come live with you and we can just go send stuff every weekend? He loved it. <laughs> he's he's such a good teacher, I think. he I think he's really going to appreciate having me if that's where I end up. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the general gist of what's going on. Um, I'm super happy to be back on the podcast. I Seriously, I love the podcast so much. It is one of my favorite kinds of content. And I just didn't really feel like I was in the right energetic space. And again, I couldn't find a quiet place to literally even record the podcast in Europe. So it's been one of those things that got pushed to the back burner. And I, I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the pod. I need to figure out how to monetize this. Like... I pour my heart and soul into this podcast like these episodes get so vulnerable and so real and I I just feel like if this is something like I'm giving this content for free and that's fine like that's life but also you know I have to make a living (laughs) so I need to figure out whether that's going to be like host read ads or if I want to do a Patreon with like bonus content or even just using YouTube to monetize I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do this and I definitely want to talk about the business strategy behind being a content creator full-time my income streams what I'm doing I would love to chat about that on another episode so if you're interested in hearing about that then that could be like a bonus episode or just some a little segment on a future episode because I'm not sure how much stuff is going to be going on now that I'm in my fucking hometown, but we will see. And I'm about to wrap up here, but as always, I appreciate you guys so much. It it's been very cute that over the last four weeks when the pod has been posted, y'all have been like, Mac, we want the pod. Where's the pod? Give us the pod. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm trying my best. Okay. I'm just one human being. <laughs> so it has been very cute, very gratifying that you guys appreciate the podcast so much because, you know, I try my best. I try my best on a daily basis. I I try to show up to this podcast authentically and give my true self and talk about real topics on here. So I'm happy that it's heard and appreciated because I've been dealing with all kinds of hate comments on my Instagram lately. It's been absolutely killing me. The, the vegans are angry with me. And then my Instagram blew up like quite a bit in the last, honestly, the last month or so. But in the last week in particular, I've gained like almost 10,000 followers. And of course, these are people who don't know me. So now my content is just being spread to the worst corners of the internet. And now I'm getting like men who are angry commenting on my deeply vulnerable posts. And I just like, 
can't I can't handle it right now I'm too sensitive for this shit so I appreciate all of you again who are fighting the aggressive people in my comments so that I don't have to because honestly it's it's tearing away at my will to live like I I generally would consider myself a kind person I like to treat other beings with empathy and kindness and this is making me less kind and I don't like that so gonna need to do some deep thinking on how to approach this because I can't really just quit. I can't like delete Instagram. Like this is my full income now. Food for thought. So I will see you guys next week. I promise. I swear to God, you will have an episode next week. I'm sorry that took so long to get this one to you. I hope that it was worth it. And next time we'll be able to dive into some deeper topics, I hope and think. If you enjoyed the podcast, like it or something. I don't, actually, I don't know if you can like it. Leave a review. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel for the video podcast. I know she's a YouTube girly now. Uh, Max Shea Smith, check it out. <laughs> Tell your mother I say hi and that I love her. Send this to your hottest friend. Send this to your mom. And I hope that you have an amazing day and you make some good choices. I hope you respect the mountains and I hope you get to do some outdoor fuck shit. And I love that for you. All right. Goodbye. I love you. Bye.